Good morning. Good air of Shabbos to everyone. And the countdown is on. You are listening to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Very excited to be right here on the Lower East Side this morning. It's been a crazy, crazy week with our kids home from school. No, haven't started school yet. Haven't, you know, I think there's orientation one, there was orientation one day this week, but I need school to start. So we're uh, pretty excited. We've got the uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, I believe, uh, coming up. We, so all those classes, all those, I should say classes, all the shows that I've done on barbecuing this whole season, say from May onwards, should be coming into fruition now. You should be at the height of your barbecue skills, table presentations for your barbecues, and eating just yummy, delicious food. A little bit about me. I'm Naomi Nachman. I'm about all the food, all the time. I love food. I love to shop for it, cook it, eat it at restaurants, read about it. Anything food-related, I uh, am a personal chef. Uh, my business is called The Aussie Gourmet. I give cooking classes. I cater for people for Shabbat, Yom Tov, Pesach, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot. Give them a bit of a shout-out. Uh, small, t- small parties. Anytime you don't feel like cooking, I'm your gal. I hope you will tune in every week and hear all about my cooking adventures, kosher food traveling, and sharing of great food ideas and recipes each week. But I would like to hear about your ideas as well, so please share your food experiences with me as I am sharing mine with you. So um, email me at naomi at nachumsegel.com. You can join my fan page on Facebook, The Aussie Gourmet. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or do my Join my newsletters on my website, theaussiegourmet.com. I'm joined in the studio today by Executive Assistant of Rami, who's the engineer who keeps our show running. And I have the one and only Shifra Klein, Editor-in-Chief of Joy of Kosher. She's going to be our first guest. And our second guest is all the way from Boston via phone. Um, it's Raina Simonjar. Uh, she is the cookbook author of the amazing, beautiful, beautiful cookbook. I've spoken, I've touched on it before, but I finally was able to uh, get her in, uh, at least over the phone. Her book's called Persian Food from the Non-Persian Bride and Other Kosher Sephardic Recipes You Will Love. So she is really a very big inspiration. We're going to hear about her story and how her cookbook came together and all about her uh, Yom Tov uh, and Rosh Hashanah Simanim. Um, as she is Sephardic, so she's a little bit different um, than, than some of the Ashkenazi ones that we presented last week. If you want to hear more about some of the Simanim and the set of uh, Simanim, you can catch up last week's show on, drumroll, podcasts. I believe that, well, I know for a fact that um, Nachum Siegel Network is now available. You know, we've, you can catch it online, you know, www.nachumsiegel.com. Then you can, you know, and hear it on the archives. You can get it on your app, on your iPhone. Hopefully on the droid soon. That's what my husband keeps hoping. Uh, and you can um, also listen to it um, on a podcast from iTunes. So that's really cool. I'm really excited about about that uh, opportunity. I, I uh, had a look uh, this morning and I did a uh, went into the iTunes store, went into podcasts. Uh, I think I even Googled Naomi Nachman and, and, and my, my show came up. So that was really cool. A whole bunch of my shows came up. Uh, everyone's program's a little bit different. I guess it depends on the version that you have as well. I probably don't have the latest version of iTunes, but there are different ways of, you know, every every update is a little easier to access. But, yeah, so you can catch everybody's shows from the networks. You can uh, listen on your, I guess, iPod or um, Mac or however however you listen, um, but now on a podcast. That was that was really exciting. So, uh, yay for the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, so you can catch up on some of our old episodes, especially last week's about the Simanim. I just want to give a few thank yous to some of our listeners. Um, last week I'd asked people to uh, send in some ideas about Rosh Hashanah. So I don't, I don't have their name, but um, Steny, S-T-E-N-I 29 at AOL.com, um, came up with a great idea of a pomegranate mojito. I thought that was really cute. You know, instead of Rosh Hashanah, well, it would be Slush Hashanah. <laughs> Get a little bit slush there. So I thought um, that was a really nice thing I wanted to share. So thank you, Steny29 at AOL.com for joining uh, us and sending us that in. Also, I had mentioned um, that I had made all these crazy eggplant dishes with my friend Adi Shalit from Israel. So Howard Sellis, if you are listening, you actually wrote into us, to me, um, and you wanted the eggplant liver dip. 
um, on the show, uh, from the show that I was talking about. So I'm just going to walk everyone quickly through that recipe. This is amazing. Um, uh, we took an eggplant, we quart- like um, ate it quarters and then chunked it all up, uh, salted it. We let it sit for half an hour. Then we rinsed it pretty well, patted it dry. Just um, Then we deep fried all those. Yeah, I know I said the word deep fry, but, you know, it's Yonta if you've got to have something good. Um, so we deep fried all those uh, eggplants so they were, like, nice and golden. Um, then we sauteed an onion, um, and then I boiled, we boiled two eggs. We've got a medium eggplant, we've got two boiled eggs, and we've got a fried onion till it's brown. So it's really, you know, we just didn't saute it till it was, maybe Sheffer, you know the right cooking term. When you saute an onion till it's brown, what's that called? Like not caramelized, but a little under caramelized. It's under caramelized? Yeah. So it's, it's brown. Right. It's like frying it. Frying. A fried, yeah. Because like caramelized is like slow cooking it almost. Okay, right. So you want to get that like for, you're talking about like mock liver. Right, right. Okay, so then it's like frying it. So we want to. It's a little bit on a higher temperature. uh, Right, so you want to cook it faster. Yeah, exactly. So we have the fried onion, the two uh, hard boiled eggs, and our deep fried. Could be there's a term for it, I don't know. I know. (laughs) Someone out there must know it. It's more than sweating it, which is really just releasing the liquid and it's still white. It really turns brown. And then all we did was take a zhuzha, you know, an immersion blender, (laughs) zhuzha it all together, added some salt, and that was it. So it was really delicious. It's a great dip for um, any vegetarian that is coming to the table um, for Rosh Hashanah or Shabbat. It's a just great dip in general, um, you know, except for the deep fried part and the egg part. <laughs> I can't say it's too healthy, but it was really delicious. And it actually is eggplant season right now. We'll come back to that in a minute. So that was a really nice um, uh, really nice uh, email that I got that he wanted to know. So I thought I would share that over the air with everybody as well. My food experience this week was insane. I did two cool things. Went to the U.S. Open. Oh, wow. Yeah, never went there before. I was really excited. A colleague of my husband, a friend of my husband, gave us two tickets. We sat in the in a suite. Never played tennis really much. I think when I was in fourth grade, which is God knows how oh, long ago, I think <laughs> in the 70s, late 70s at least, I had a tennis lesson then. But um, it was amazing. I saw Venus Williams win her oh, wow. first round of tennis on the first day so that was really fantastic loved it i haven't actually kept up with what's going on but all i we had some wraps they sent up some wraps up to the suite and then of course i had to go down to the where they sell the kosher food let me tell you the lines were wrapped around the corner oh wow people wanted those kosher hot dogs with pastrami wrapped around it or like like that's nice yes i find that those hot dogs are like really the best hot dogs you ever eat you know what i'm saying like at the stadium they just taste so much better delicious (laughs) Delicious. It looked, it, it smelled, I can't say I tasted it because I could not stand on that very long line. It was actually oh, quite okay. humid. But they looked delicious. They looked amazing. They smelt fabulous. So, no, there's just also something about having kosher food in a place that you don't expect it that makes yeah, it taste all the more better. It's like it's dangerous. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know people love danger. So it was dangerous. Exactly. Yeah, it was really fab. So that was really nice to see. I know that a lot of the sporting venues, more than just New York, I know in Baltimore and some other out of town, maybe you guys know, Avrami or Shifra, you, you, um, probably more up than me. You have boys, Shifra, I have girls. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, but where a lot of the sporting places have, um, kosher food. Yeah, I, it's I love really it. Amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. Nothing like getting a hot dog at Yankee Stadium. So there yeah. is nothing like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. And the next cool thing I, I did is, um, I went to Lewin Farms on Sunday to pick, oh, that's awesome. um, to pick fruits and vegetables. It's peach season, eggplant season, tomato season. And pepper season. Don't love peppers. I don't mind cooking with them, but I think I'm allergic to green peppers. Oh. Yeah, so I, we, we did not pick peppers, but we got bushels of tomatoes, eggplants the size of footballs. Um, saw the craziest. Remember last week, the listeners that were listening, we were talking about the snake squash. If you go onto my Instagram page, you will see gorgeous pictures I took of snake squash that we can use uh, for the simanim. So that was really amazing. So uh, if you're looking for a great chalamoa trip, um, or something to do before Rosh Hashanah or Labor Day weekend. I know you might, if you're not making your barbecue, looking for something to do on Sunday, Monday, go to Lewin Farms. It's, uh, you can look it up online. Um, I know you, you have mentioned some in your book. Yes, in, we in the actually magazine. spoke about apples. Apples. So this is. So it's apple picking they season. They do this as is, well. Yeah, they also they do. They do as well. And berries as well you can do. Um, this is out in Wading River. New York. I'm sure in New Jersey there's also ones. I went to the website Pick Your Own. Oh, okay, you can that's Google a great it. website. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how I found uh, Lewin Farms. It was one hour and 17 minutes from Woodmere. So the five towners, that's okay. something you can uh, look into. I'm not sure how far that is from Brooklyn or Queens. Uh, we actually bumped into some 
friends from Queens there, which was cool. Like we couldn't have planned a better meeting place, you know, so right. that was really cute. We set up a picnic. My mum was with us. It was her last day from Australia. So uh, we went. It was amazing. It yeah, really- it's such an awesome family trip to go pick your own anything. It really is fun. It's it's not expensive. And then you have something you could do with right after. And you know what we made when we came home? What did you make? Peach cobbler. Oh, okay. <laughs> peach cobbler. We've been eating peach cobbler <laughs> all week. And I made a few and I stuck them in the freezer. So smart. Um, my husband eating, been eating them for lunch. I've been washing them each, every day and, you know, um, we picked some soft and some firmer so that would ripen over the week so it continued our peaches. Uh, eggplant parmesan we made. Yeah. Uh, a lot of eggplant dips coming up mm-hmm. for the shoppers for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, just if you get a chance, it was really a wonderful trip. I've wanted to do it for years. So, uh, yeah, that was really nice, uh, family, family uh, experience. So, uh, another shout out, um, it was, uh, as I had mentioned, it was my 20th wedding anniversary early in the, earlier in the summer, and my mum wanted to buy us a present for the Rosh Hashanah table, and, you know, I'm tying it into Rosh Hashanah, and, um, we wanted a new kiddish cup, and, you know, I know they call it the Pisha set. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to get beat for that, but that's what they kept calling it. You know, where you pour it off and it has a little spout yeah. into the mini kitchen cups. I was trying to be polite when I was trying to describe what I wanted to the Judaica stores. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, the kiddish cup pishes. I'm like, yeah, okay, I was trying to be a lady. <laughs> yeah. So I called, I called my friend uh, Debbie Fox um, in, in of Rosenblum's World of Judaica out in Chicago. I'm friends with her daughter. So I said, you know what, I'm going to give Debbie a call. Uh, she's alljudaica.com. Um, Beautiful stuff. Really, I know there's a lot of Judaica stores out there, but, you know, she carries a really, really large selection. So thank you, Debbie, for getting that for me from uh, Rosenblum's World of Judaica. The website's alljudaica.com. And it really looks so pretty on my Shabbos table, and it kind of went with all my the scheme, color scheme of my living room. And I think that's really important when you want to have a beautiful table is, you know, uh, grabbing the colors from, from your room. And we're going to talk about tablescapes with Shifra in just a minute. Um, she will join us. Um, Shifra, yeah. I'm so excited that you're here. <laughs> when she walked in, I was like really hyper this morning because we have, you know, yet another great show, hopefully. But, um, you know, she has in this week's, this month, can we call it a monthly edition? Because I it's, feel like yeah. we had one out last month. I know, I know. It's sort of like the seasons the se- or like, right. yeah, and our for this Yom Tov, yeah, so for this upcoming Yom Tov. And, and, and um, the Yom Tov season, really back yeah. onto the summer season. Exactly, so so that's I was why very it's so excited. close. One in July, one for August, bam. <laughs> and when will the next one come out? The next one will come out for Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Okay, so you have a little bit of breathing yeah. in there. <laughs> sort of, sort of. Yeah, yeah. I know it keeps you very busy. Yes. But once again, it's a beautiful, beautiful magazine. Thank you. The cover speaks for itself. You just want to eat those. Are they acorn squashes on the it's, cover? Yeah, stuffed acorn squash. I love it. It's like, it? yeah, it's like perfectly like for the full season. And like the ingredients we used are so perfect for Yomtev. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I, I know that when you were here... Uh, the last time, I guess, uh, sometime in July, talking about the summer edition, um, and I, I made tons of the stuff. You know, we're oh, talking nice, about, yeah. you know, hamburgers and all that. So exactly. making your own chuck. So I, you know, <laughs> definitely experimented a little bit there. We had some great, great, great burgers. Um, but we were talking about that you were going to have, and I said we're going to have to have you back, all about the pots. Yes. Because people ask me, that's a question I get a lot: is pots and knives. What pots do you use? People right. like come in and open up my cabinet. <laughs> I don't know why. They want to see what parts I use. Right. And they want to see what knives I use. Well, it so, is a smart question because it makes such a difference. Right. It I, really does. I, I, I can see that and I've learned that. You know, I like bang on the bottom of a pot to right. see if it's a good sturdy pot exactly. because everything burns on the bottom otherwise. But let's talk about the ones that you've got in here because I've never used um, these kinds of pots. I'm just turning to the page now myself. You use terracotta pots. What does yeah. that mean? Talk, it's a clay pot basically. It's a clay pot, and it's more like the pots that we had this time are more like ancient type of pots. That was like the theme that we had. So we have the copper pots and the terracotta pots. And then upcoming in further issues, we're going to do more, you know, contemporary contemporary pots. For Hanukkah, we're doing the cast iron, the wok, which is something they're both very, like, cheap, inexpensive pots that have so many different uses. Right. And then we're going to get like really into a bunch of other ones that people always wanted to know about. Pressure cookers, you know, yeah, crock pots. I'm, I'm afraid of the pressure cooker. Yeah. I'm yeah. afraid. Yeah, we're going to have to get a good expert on that one. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. You'll bring someone in and, you know, we'll we'll share with the magazine and here on uh, <laughs> right Yeah, here. so we wrote about, you know, the best ways to take care of them, the best what the best uses for them. Like if right. you have a terracotta pot. Yeah, let's talk about that's what more you would for cook. like Yeah, that's more for like a, a breeze. You want to cook something for a long time. It's the perfect dish because it conducts heat so easily. The food won't burn and 
the author writes about Alessandra Rivati. She's an Italian. Oh, dinner, yes, in dinner in Venice. She's lovely. She's amazing. And so she writes about um, how the longer you have the pot, it sort of gains character and develops <laughs> like it just tastes better in those pots that you have for like that you've been cooking in for like 10 years. So because um, it tastes yeah. natural. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just it's it's basically using learning how to use these type of pots. You know, you see them in the store and they look so interesting. And I love the, the terracotta pots. They're so pretty. You could also serve them straight from the oven and it looks you, awesome. Are they oven to table? They're right? oven to table. They're so beautiful and it just looks so rustic and like you just want to eat it, you know? Is that so, like earthenware? Yeah. Is that what they exactly, call earthenware exactly. as well? Okay, so yeah. I do have quite a few at home because I love exactly. oven to tableware. Yeah, I love them. You I know, I like it. to cook in them and then serve them straight. It's awesome. I make my yapsika, you know, I always talk oh, about awesome. the yapsika. My husband's like, obsessed. I have to ask you for your recipe. Oh, it's so easy. <laughs> He's like always on the search for the best one. Okay, it's interesting because, you know, now with Yontif, and you know, we're going to keep coming back to Rosh Hashanah this whole show, is, um, you know, we've got a three-day Yontif. When do you put up your challenge? Exactly. Very tricky. So a lot of my clients have asked me to cook for them yapsiks. Okay. They're so, awesome, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to see if we can sneak that recipe in. I've actually got it online on my um, – you have to search, search okay, through my check blog. It out. But I've got it online, but we'll try to work through it. Walk. Try to – I'm, I'm so tongue-tied right now. We'll try to get it up and get it on the show and speak about it on the yeah. show. How about that? Um, before the end of the show. But but yapsiks are really great in, in this earthenware, right? Yeah, exactly. And that would be great to serve. Stick right. in your oven and so beautiful. Right. And so elegant. And you make it – I've actually made them ahead of time. I you know, did the, the kugel mixture. I put my okay. – I poured it over my meat uh, mm-hmm. that sits in my in 9 by 13 shaped earthenwares. Uh, mm-hmm. pan and uh, you know I cook it for like an hour and three quarters um, and then I let it cool I wrap it in four and then I freeze it that's awesome and then I bring it you know, in the freezer that flavors like intensify a little bit so I, it's actually much better after a potato cooker with meat in it yeah it's actually, you know like soups it's better after they've been in the freezer I was gonna say it's probably one of those dishes that really freeze well it freezes well people go oh you put potato cooker in the freezer I'm like you're cooking it overnight it's amazing yeah. amazing it's with meat it's also so. and it's got the flavors of the flunk and just yum yeah um, so you you cover it I, I uh, defrost it say uh, if say Yontif is uh, Wednesday Thursday so I would take, take it out of the freezer uh, Friday Friday night, I would, or Thursday, maybe Thursday right before Shabbos, because right. I know I'm allowed to prepare. Let it, you know, defrost for a few hours. You know, maybe Thursday morning, defrost it for a few hours, and then once it's defrosted, pour my cup of water over it, cover it with foil, and then put it um, in my oven 200 degrees. So um, yeah, cook slow, slow and slow, you know it'll it'll continue. It's already fully cooked. Exactly. You don't have to worry about bacteria, but it'll continue to stew or bake or braise, whatever the correct <laughs> term is, uh, overnight in the oven. That's so, awesome. Um, yeah, so just uh, that's a great idea for the third day of Yontif. It really is. Yeah, yeah. So you've got your oven to tableware um, terracotta. Would you? People know where to buy these kind of things from. Is so those a, are more like in you know you're not going to find it in your regular like you know probably not. So it's more like specialty stores or like gourmet shops. Okay. Um, but they're not expensive. And copper, oh, the copper pots that we did, that was the other pot that we covered. Yeah, let's talk about that. I got one for a wedding present. Yeah, so it is <laughs> a little bit more high-end, the copper pots. Yeah. And so we just write, like, if you have one or if you're interested in it, you can learn just a little bit more about it, the best way to take care of it, the best foods to cook in it, what not to cook in it, uh, which p- copper pots you should, shouldn't you buy? Like there's certain ones really? that you should stay away from. Yeah. Um, can you can you give us a mention of some of those? We're just uh, taking a look for uh, for some of those in in the uh, book. So like it could react to in acidic magazine. food, for example. Okay, like so that was like a tip. So you're not, not going to make your tomato soup in your copper pot. Okay. What page is that on? Uh, that's on page 35. Okay. I'm catching up. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Copper pots. Exactly. Okay. But what is good in it? One of the recipes. So oh. we did like something like polenta, which okay. was amazing in it. And Very it just, Italian. Yeah, exactly. Very Italian dishes. And, you know, now you mentioned that you're on podcast. We now have the magazine available um, on the iPad. as And we're, this issue is available for free download. Oh, that so is just really like, cool. Yeah. So anybody oh, yeah. could, you ask me what page it's on. So just like Fort Smith, I'm like, oh, anybody could check it out. Anybody that's listening today, you can go on um, iTunes and just download this issue for free. Oh, that's fantastic. So in honor of our new app, you can download this. This one is available for free download. Okay, all right. Which is this, really this, great. That's, yeah. that's a great idea. And thank you for doing that. Joy of Kosher is really trying to 
they are keeping up with with just everything out right. there. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's really awesome. It's so fun. Like I've like we had to get the iPad to like you know because of you know because we're doing the app, and it's just like <laughs> such you, a different experience. You toy of, in the house, of course, of course. But uh, it's such a different experience of reading the magazine. You could clip your favorite things, post it on Instagram, send it to your friends, post it on Facebook. So it's really fun. And it's more interactive. And you can, can also you pin then, things. You can pin things totally. I don't even know what that means yet. <laughs> I, I know, I know I've, it's been explained there. to me. It's been explained to me. But, yeah, I'm going to have a little yeah, bit of a lesson. So it's really, really them. awesome. And then we also did something really fun because, you know, a lot of times you go out to restaurants um, – and there's like this whole tipping controversy because we right. go out to eat. Right. So I bought oh, I have okay. that in my notes. Yeah. Oh, right. we're getting no. there. Okay. Yeah, no, great. Go. No, because I, I love it because, you know, we've had so many problems being Australians, coming to America and the whole tipping thing. It's really, we felt like um, that it was just like, it's so out of hand. Like to come to a restaurant, uh, no offense. So I hope it's not too controversial. But yeah, okay, don't worry. To come worry. to a restaurant and, you know, be forced to tip 20% or 16% or, you know, tipping should really be personal. If you right. want to tip for good service, you should. You don't have to tip. Right. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that when we did research, we found out that restaurants don't pay their wait staff. They You're right. basically they, have uh, to pay uh, them like $2 an hour and then the rest comes in from tips. I know. Isn't that awful? So I'm just, sorry. It's I don't very think interesting. Nice. Yeah. But I also find like being an Aussie and, and coming to America, I mean, some of our friends have been chased down by cab drivers, but not tipping <laughs> them, being chased by waiters out of restaurants. I don't want to say which old famous New York restaurant uh, we were taken out to eat by an Australian friend. They stayed at our house. They wanted to treat us. And they took care of the bill. And then all of a sudden, you know, the maitre d' comes out, were you unhappy with the service? We're like, no, it was great. Thank you. They're like, well, they didn't tip. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. They're Australian. We don't tip in Australia. Yeah. If the bill is $100 in Australia or, sorry, $98, yeah. you would leave $100. Right. It's okay. not. We exactly. pay our work. So, 100%. Right. I remember, so, like, being a teenager, we went out to eat, like, me and my friends, and we, like, were scraping, like, the money out of our pockets. <laughs> and we didn't have enough for tip, and the waiter ran after us when we were leaving. We were, like, 16 years old. Right. You know, like, we're like, okay, we were barely able to afford this meal. <laughs> But like, so we actually asked our readers also, it's interesting to see, you know, there is this like social, it's like a social norm. So people feel the need to tip. Right, right. Well, you know. Like people tip 15 to 20% just cause. Nail salon. Yeah. You yeah. Have to, you tip. It's, it's like this, you know, yeah. I have to teach my children, you know, daughters, you know. Right. Not, I don't want them to not do it because it's. Well, you want to be socially appropriate. You want to be socially and, yeah, appropriate. You don't want yeah. to offend. Um, exactly. You're getting your hair washed and cut. You tip the hairdresser. You tip the person who washes your hair. My mother, when it's, she comes from Australia, doesn't know what to do. <laughs> it's like you think, okay, I'm going to go spend, you know, $40 on a steak that I know costs $10. So, like, why do I have to pay extra to be served the steak? Right, I know. So that was, that was what you know, the point that, you know, but every there were people that felt, no, you should tip, you know. Right, it's, and, and it's important. And what's the right tip? It used to be 10, now it's 15, yeah. now it's 20. When is it going to be... At what point does it get to be with inflation an 80% tip? <laughs> you have to tip 80%. My right. great-grandchildren will have to tip 80%. Like, and, and the service doesn't always reflect exactly. what is exactly. done. But, but exactly. quite often it's, you know, Yeah, we had this, great. There was the story of this couple. They went out to eat in Texas. We wrote about it in an article. Okay. And uh, they didn't like the service, so they refused to tip. But on the menu it said, you know, you have to tip 16%. And so they didn't tip, so they were locked into the restaurant, and they called the police. <gasps> yeah, no way. that's how that far it got. And then they were like, "Okay, we'll just tip," because they wanted to leave. But like, yeah, I feel like that's like blackmail or kidnapping Almost, or something. Yeah, <laughs> that is crazy. so. It's a very passionate topic among right. people, you know, the whole idea of tipping. So yeah, so we're trying, you know, in in this issue, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of recipes. We did a whole holiday guide. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Oh my god, it's great. You have yeah. all kinds of different cuisines going exactly. on exactly so we did like this whole like from start to finish right so like you mentioned before Tablescape. we started with tablescapes let's start with tablescapes yeah. because i think it's you know you eat with your eyes exactly that expression. it's a very and big difference i think rosh hashanah tables and we spoke about it a lot last week they can be so beautiful you've got these gorgeous green and red apples and you know exactly bright colors can pop through you can do monochromatic you can do crystals i see you've got bowls of pomegranates like you can do so much and there are 
crazy funky fruits out there. Yeah, you could really like do a lot. And uh, Malky from the Silver Spoon Store, she helped us do this. Where is that? It's in Crown Heights, but she, there's a website, thesilverspoonstore.com. Yeah, let's give her a shout out. And you can just go check it out there, and you can see all her stuff. And they, they're really helpful there. So like even this simple thing, like you were saying about the fruits, you have a beautiful, elegant bowl, and we just filled it up with green apples. Yeah. And it just looks so nice. It pops off the table. And when you go to the store this season, you'll see so many interesting fruits that they bring out for Rosh Hashanah. And you can just make a bowl of that. And that's awesome. And even we have a table setting here of how to dress up your weekday dishes. You know, you can bring the outside. You know, you can really dress up even what you have. It doesn't have to be something... You know, you don't have to go spend a thousand dollars. Charges are cheap. They're a dollar or something exactly. like that. Lionsdeal.com. I got my my uh, uh, charges from them. I've, okay. I have like my living room colors are like in the goldish, okay, coppery so. family. So my kiddish cup from alljudaica.com uh, <laughs> is is in that gold family. Right. With a little bit of silver wrapping around the edge uh, by the artist Emmanuel. It's really funky. I'll show you a picture really nice, later. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and then, my, you know, my tablecloths are all that color, and you know, my right. charges. I figured should be gold, and my silver, my dishes, my Shabbos dishes are white, little gold trimming oh, nice. around the end. Simple. I bought them at Macy's. Nothing crazy right. expensive. And the dishwasher proof, which was really important, oh, so important to me, <laughs> very important to me, makes a world of yeah, difference. Not all my platters can go in the dishwasher, so I need to make sure that my dishes exactly. do. Exactly. Um, so you know, so I got them from Lionsteel.com. You know, they now have like gold-plated um, silk flatware, which is really pretty. One day. Yeah. Uh, real gold? Or? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, my, it's I not have real from gold. my grandmother. Oh, you she have. She gave me twenty something oh, wow. years ago. So it goes when with I was your, engaged. Yeah, that's it's beautiful. Um, they're just like little serving forks. So okay. like, um, like if you're making a fruit platter and you would need forks, you put these gold forks down. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. They're yeah. gorgeous. You yeah. know, people think it always has to be silver. No, so <laughs> they're really, yeah, you, could, you see them out there. You know, that's nice. Yeah. So, okay. So nothing like a beautiful tablescape. I see you even have like crystal candelabras. They're, they're actually coming really, really popular. Yeah. Um, I crystal menorahs and crystal candelabras. I'm seeing them more and more in the uh, exactly. table scale. It's another. Scene. It's a different option from silver. Yeah, a hundred percent. And much much cheaper. <laughs> and it really does look really elegant. Yeah. Yeah, and you can get like colored candlesticks. Like you, you exactly. Said you have to have white for exactly. I mean, people. You know, we have a white tablecloth and we have white candlesticks, but really halachically, I don't think it comes from anywhere. Rabbi Avrami, do you know anything about? No, no, from Avrami. We don't know where. What Good question? I don't yeah. think. I wonder. I, I don't think, think it's in the Shulchan Aruch or the Mishnah Bura. We have right. to ask a rabbi and come back to all we our. We do listeners before we decide ourselves, right? Right. <laughs> I'm like, I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, I figure like gold's like white, you know, like right? Not not too far exactly removed from the shades of color there. Okay, so now besides having a beautiful table, we've got to have beautiful looking food. Exactly. And you have got all this going right through the magazine. Right, so we went from salads to appetizers, and then we have a few main course options, which is really fun. And you can just totally mix and match. And even uh, Jamie, Jamie's section, uh, she did her menu was simanim inspired. Right. And then we explained the different simanim and what each one, what it signifies, and the significance of each one, which is really nice. You know, I also learned a few new things. I always learn like some new things doing the magazine myself. Right. Well, so it's really awesome. I always say whenever I give a cooking class, I always learn something. Yeah, back. you always do. I mean, there are people that there are people that will show up and like I was just I was in uh, Peabody, Massachusetts the other day. Where? In Peabody, Massachusetts. Peabody. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Where's... And like it's it's north of Boston. And you were there for I was I did a cooking demonstration uh, for Rosh Hashanah. Cool. And I also, you know, shared the magazine with the crowd. Yeah. Uh, which was really fun. And there were people that came up to me and gave me these awesome recipes and like tips. And it's just so exciting. Right. I, I you love always the like, tips. Yeah. The tips and like the recipes that you could learn. It's really, really incredible. And so we have like from, you know, Middle Eastern inspired menu to a gourmet menu. And then we did techniques like just basic techniques that could help you throughout Yom Tif. Like... How to make a basic soup. Right. How to make, you know, there's we have this um, fish in parchment paper. Oh, I love. Which what is the that, best. Can you say it in French? I hope I could. Pimp. Um, fish and poppyette or something. Something like, you know <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't say it right. Yep. I'm a little pa- bit embarrassed pa- right pa- now. Pa- pa- oh, I'm sorry. I no. didn't mean to. <laughs> I'm really not. I thought you were. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're both comfortable not being able to speak French with our American. French just makes like, I'll say fish and parchment or like I was laughing because we were, I was at this, I was at a restaurant once. I think it was. Mike's Bistro a long time ago, and they have this dish they call the cassoulet. Oh, And we're like, what is it? It's a bean stew, basically. Chalant. It's chalant. (laughs) (laughs) But in French, it sounds like something really exciting. Right, right. 
You're like, hmm. nothing like nothing like saying challenge exactly. French or even make... beans do, you beans know. Beans do. I know. So well, this yeah. Whenever I serve my husband um challenge on Sunday night for leftovers, I go, Bean stew's ready, come for dinner. <laughs> when it's not Shabbos, it's bean stew. On Shabbos it's, it's challenge. Yeah, exactly. So this fish and parchment is an awesome technique. You could also make it in advanced as we write, and we write different tips and different flavors that you could add. Yeah. So it really helps you. Like it's like a real guide to Yamtif, like from start to finish. Yeah, I, I've done a lot. I've been doing this for years, the oh, snapper okay. um, snapper in um, parchment paper. Locks in the moisture. Amazing. And you know what? It's, it's, you could be fat-free also. It does not need any yeah. oil. I, I put a drop you of could. olive oil, uh, fresh lemon juice, olives. Yeah, exactly. If you like yeah. olives, you can skip the olives, garlic, and a spritz of lem- fresh lemon mm-hmm. juice. Wrap it up. And what I used to do, I haven't done this in a while. It's reminding me I should do it. I was, I would do, put like eight on a cookie sheet right before okay. Shabbos. Cook them for 20 minutes. Shut the oven off. Take it out. Remember the, the steam is very hot. So it keeps it, uh, inside the exactly. pot, maybe even when it's Shabbos and the oven is off. And then I serve each one of my guests a package of parchment exactly. paper, which they unwrap at the table. So it's like it's, present. Presentation value is incredible and it's so simple to make. So it's really cool. And um, the desserts we have are incredible. We have so many different also experts that contributed. Um, Laura Frankel, Jamie Geller, Tori Avi, Paula Scheuer, who's like a real expert in baking. baking, right? Her cake was so good. Me and my husband were like, after the photo shoot, we always have like this extra food. And that was something that like we were like hiding from the kids. <laughs> so good. <laughs> that's very cute. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the beet bowl salad. That oh, looks that's really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Tori's, uh, Tori Avi did that. Uh, and uh, basically, yeah, it's such a fun presentation value. It's so healthy and delicious. It was also so, so, so good. And what else we did really exciting for this issue was we did new for the new year. So we have all the new cookbooks that are coming out, new yeah. kosher restaurants. Uh, we did new gadgets, the new wines that are coming out this year. Oh, we can't wait we to hear about We spoke to Royal Wine Corp about it. Um, and, you know, they gave us their whole, like, you know, the whole update about what's going on with that. So that was really exciting. Um, and there's really cool products. We actually were at the fancy food show at the Jacob Javits Center. Right, right. Which we spoke about, yeah. I think. And so the most, we like, first of all, what was amazing was that kosher is, uh, was one of the trends there. I love what, it. It's, which is so awesome. It's so great. nice to see. It's great. Um, and so we got these really, we found some really cool items. Um, and something that was really cool was Tishby makes a line of wine jams. And so yeah. they have the onion jam, and we also I found an apple one, which is so fun for Yom Tov. Yeah, great. Apple exactly. jam. Nice. That's a nice little yeah. touch. And, um, and we also have the finger limes. Did you ever see those? A finger limes? Finger limes. Okay. They're so, so cool. Um, they basically, um, they're like these little limes, and they have no, uh, there's like, Basically, like pearls of limes come out of it. It's really, really cool. That is so. Just some exciting things that we have going on. I love it, and yeah. I, I got to give a big mention to the nutritional guide at yes. the back. That's really absolutely fantastic. So uh, thanks for the mention. Yeah, yeah. Th- that, no, no, it's good. You know, yeah. you always want to know what you're reading and all it that. It tells you everything it's, about it's basically it. Basically, it's basically a directory of, of of the where all the recipes are. In any case, in the book, exactly, which is good. I always find that um, helpful. Because you kind of, you know, like I remember we were looking earlier on the show uh, what page was it on, but you just look in the back and it's all there, plus the nutritional guide. So yeah, so it's really awesome. Joy of kosher, you guys rock. Thank you, you keep so much. Us, you know, entertained and, <laughs> and well-informed and well-fed and, you know, I, right. I uh, look forward to the Hanukkah edition. Thank you. I'm not sure if you can stick around. I've got this amazing guest, um, but you are welcome to stick around. We'd love to hear from you as well if you can. Okay. I know, I know it's a Friday morning, so it's super, <laughs> super busy uh, Erev Labor Day, Erev Rosh Hashanah, and of course, Erev Shabbos. But I have my next guest on the phone. Uh, Raina Simanjar, as I said earlier on the show, is the cookbook author of Persian Food from the Non-Persian Bride. She lives in Boston, Massachusetts, and she is joining us by phone. Hello, Raina. Hi there. How are you? Good. I'm so excited that you can join us today. I am super excited as well. I found Raina on Facebook. Uh, you know, I belong to millions of Facebook pages <laughs> be like of, of all about food and cookbooks and stuff, and then I saw a new one had come out not too long, ago, you know, a little while ago, and I clicked like, and I said, I was looking at the Facebook page and then I went to the website. I'm like, I've got to have this lady on my show. I've got to contact her. Yeah. And, and we've been back and forth, but I really wanted her to come in in person. But it, she's in Boston and it's hard to come in. So we figured we'd, over the, before Rosh Hashanah, over the phone, I must have you in. Um, Raina is very inspirational. 
things. And uh, I want to hear a little bit about your story and uh, how you came to put this fabulous book together. Well, I often say that, uh, you know, if <laughs> my story is kind of funny because it really all begins in a quite unholy man- manner, which is through Taco Bell. Through Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, talking about food, Taco Bell, of all places. And, well, I was, it, it's really, meaning like with regards to the cookbook, the story of my family is a completely different story with like, you know, how I became a Jew and all that. Is that what you're yeah, referring to? Yeah, or let's how, start how with I that. Wrote the let's cookbook? start with that process. Okay, so. that's, you know, I find it so inspirational and we're looking for Rosh Hashanah for, yeah. for inspiration and stuff. And that's so sweet. Thank so, you. So no, really, thank you. So when I, the first time I saw a Jew in my life, um, is when I was 12 years old, and um, I was driving with my father, uh, going to visit my grandfather, and I noticed that there were so many people with black hats and beards and like black suits, and I thought they were in a funeral. And it was Saturday, so my dad looks at me. He's like, "No, they're not in a funeral. They're Jews. They're going to synagogue." And this was in Venezuela. In Venezuela, in Caracas, Venezuela, which is where I was born. And I, I was like, "What do you mean, Jews? Like Jews from the Old Testament?" And then my dad said, yes, like that. And I said, well, you're still around? That's super cool. <laughs> and I didn't know because <laughs> I grew up in a very different way. I grew up completely Catholic, you know, religious Catholic. I went to Catholic school my whole life. And um, I really, honestly, I was not exposed to any of these things. Um, and when I got to my grandfather's house, my aunt lived with him, and I approached her, and I said to my aunt, you know, I noticed that there were some Jews around your house. I'm, what do you know about this? And she's like, what do you mean, what do I know about it? We live in a Jewish community. And I said to her, what do you mean? Like, like you sound like you know so much about this stuff. She's like, how old are you? And I said, I'm 12. She said, I think it's time I talk to you. So she sat me down, and she, you know, she said, there's a reason why our family is so strange, because our family was very weird. Like, very, very weird. They did things very differently than anybody else did. Okay. And she said, the reason why we do things differently is because we are Murano Jews. And I was like, what? What does that even mean? Like, what, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know how our na- last name is Perez with a Z? Um, we actually changed it from Perez, Perez with an S to Perez with a Z because of the Inquisition. Oh, my gosh. And then your she started telling back. us telling me everything about this and, you know, it, and then everything made sense. I mean, a lot of things that we did in our family, I'll give you one example because I could give you thousands of them, but without much time. Right. Like we, we used to um, go to the cemetery and, you know, everybody puts flowers in the graves, right? And my father would go, would make us go in a, in a, on a rock hunt. And it's really hard to find rocks in a beautifully manicured cemetery. So it was very frustrating. And I would be like, why are we so cheap? Why don't we just buy flowers like everybody else? So then, you know, when I was 16, I understood why. I was watching this movie, Schindler's List, which is a movie where a lot of just, yeah. And at the end of the movie... At the end of the movie, there's a scene where people are putting rocks on a grave. Right. And then I understood immediately what it meant. Right. What it was that basically, you know, Jews do that. And then I said to myself, oh, my gosh, I came out of the movie theater knowing that I just had to rescue whatever was left of my Jewish heritage. So I decided to convert when I was 16. That's unbelievable, 16 yeah. years old. Yeah, yeah. They didn't take me seriously until I was 18. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, for all the people who yeah. are out there listening and they need to know that, you know, the conversions are not taken seriously until, you know, obviously an adult. A legal, a legal adult. A legal adult that not can take responsibility for all yeah. the actions. Being a Jew is a humongous responsibility, but it's even more of a pleasure and more of a... It's just people don't understand how hard it is to do an Orthodox conversion and how lucky people are to be born Jewish. And that's really, I go around the world like just sharing with people. The story, obviously, is a lot more intense than what I just told you about. Absolutely. That's like in a nutshell, but it is just people don't know the beauty and the gift what it is to be born a Jew. And with Rosh Hashanah coming up, it just got to be grateful. Well, I, I'm like really moved here. It's it's really <laughs> like, I, I, I've read your story. We've, we've spoken together, but but, you know, just hearing it, you know, no matter how many times you hear it, like it's really like very moving to hear it from you. Um, and your family, so you were Murano Jews? Yes. So yes. You were one of the Jews. Your family was one of the people that went into hiding. Yes. Um, on the in, on the, I guess on the outside, they were practicing Catholics and on the inside, they were Jews. And I exactly. guess through the generation. people don't know, like the Inquisition's agenda was really not exactly the Jews because the Jews were either killed or expelled. Right. 
but the people who became Christians from the on the outside and remained Jews on the inside, they became the you know the agenda of the Inquisition, and that's why a lot of people had really difficult time. Those were people that you know didn't you know they had too many say like homes in Spain or too much money to lose, and they just stayed. And unfortunately, they thought this was going to be a good idea. And look at us. Many, many, many people are in the same situation that I, I, I was. It's unreal. I have like the goosebumps sitting here. It's a nice, you know. It's unbelievable. I have to tell you, it's unbelievable how many people out there have Jewish heritage. And they just, they know there's something Jewish in their life and they just can't put their fingers on it. But there is a spark. My mother calls it the Pintle Yid. You know, just, you know, <laughs> I don't know the right Yiddish terminology because it's, you know, hard to translate Yiddish sometimes. Um, to get yeah. the right flavor, but like, you know, that the spark inside of them. There's not um, even a question. There's always a spark. So it's let, unbelievable. let's move your journey a little bit forward. So you've converted. You're now living in California, I believe. Well, at the time, but I, com- I hadn't converted yet when I met my husband. Okay. I was going through a conversion, but I was working on campus in UCLA in Taco Bell. Um, not exactly the most kosher place, but hey, gotta, gotta have a job. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, I simply was just selling burritos, like no, minding nobody's business. And then out of the sudden, he basically asked for two bean burritos without cheese. And I gave him, you know, the bean burritos without cheese, but I was handling money. I didn't really make them. And he went on and, you know, he started asking questions. And I'm like, whatever, you know. I was 18. I have to remember that. Like, I was very, very young. And um, I was not interested because he wasn't good looking enough. <laughs> <laughs> Picky, picky. I was so, no, I was 13, 18, and you're what? like, whatever. You know, you're such an empty, like, my head was empty. And and then I was just, like, simply just minding my own business, and then he came back to complain because half the Khalila, one of the green burritos had cheese, you know? Like, he had cheese, and then he came back to complain, but actually I was on my break, and he went to my manager, and he gave her a note, call me. <laughs> and give me a break. Like, I was not going to call him, not yeah. because I didn't even remember who he was. There were so many, so many, you know, people buying things. It's called Taco Bell Express on campus. Right. So um, I decided, you know, I, I decided to call him because my cousin thought it was a good idea. And he ended up being such a great guy. Okay, good. And I've been married for 15 years. And oh. his mother is the one that taught me all the secrets from Persian cuisine. Okay, so he, he was a Persian Jew. You were living yes. in California, but he was not. Orthodox at no, the time? No, no, obviously no. Um, no, he was traditional. A lot of Persian okay, Jews uh, are very traditional. I, I, I believe so. And yeah, but not uh, not religious at all. He was not religious, and you were going through your conversion. You guys start dating. You eventually get married. You both become religious together. Well, what happened was that I didn't really realize that he was a Jew because he's Persian. So I thought to myself, like, all Persians are Muslim, you know what I mean? Ah. So, but then the second date, I realized he was wearing a chai. And immediately, I mean, I already knew how to read Hebrew. I said to him, oh, my gosh, you're Jewish? Like, I'm going through a conversion, blah, 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 blah. I was, you know, obviously in the beginnings of my conversion, I was 18. I just turned 18. And, um, you know, for my formal conversion, because I already had my, cert, my heart set right, for right. a long time. Um, so then he told me, yes, I'm Jewish. And I told him the story of my family, and da, da, da. And then I thought it was a great idea to introduce him to my rabbi. Um, and my rabbi was like, you can't date a Jew. You're going through a conversion. Right. And, and I was like, well, what do you mean? Aren't you happy? At least he's Jewish. <laughs> and <laughs> right. I was like, you don't understand. Uh, I, had to meet the, I have to meet this boy. I have to meet him. So I brought him to my rabbi. My rabbi said, if you want to be around this girl, you need to go to conversion classes too. He was very smart, my rabbi. Yeah. And uh, my husband is like, I am already a Jew. I don't need to know anything else. That's it. I don't know. I know everything there is to be a Jew. And my rabbi was like, you have no idea. <laughs> so... I said to him, you know, you can stick around or you can just move on. Like, I was so young and I was like not interested in settling in whatsoever. So I was like, I need to do this for myself. If you want to stick around, great. If not, please don't ruin it for me. Okay. So he stuck around for almost three years. Wow. Well, you took the process took three years. Yeah, because it took me two and a half years to convert. It took right. a long time. And, and um, when did you, you know, you were Orthodox right after you converted? So what happens, yeah, basically, what happens in a conversion, an Orthodox conversion, everything you learn, you take upon yourself. So if you learn today about Kashrut and you learn the laws of Kashrut, everything you start learning, you put into your life. And uh, that's what I started doing. Now, it wasn't really translating into his life. It was more because I wanted it so desperately. He was like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Tzni'ut, are you crazy? Kashrut, are you out of your mind? There's no way. So 
the more I learned, the more in love I fell with Judaism. And then we kind of, you know, we drifted apart a little bit. He moved to New York. And then I actually moved to New York, and I finished my conversion in New York. Um, Like maybe like a year after he moved to New York, I moved to New York. And then we reunited there again, and he was already very much on his way. He moved to the Upper West Side. He found, you know, his way there on his own, really, like, very incredibly, like, on his own, really. He had to come to terms on his own. I couldn't impose it right, on him. You, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, yeah. I wasn't you can't right. force religion on anyone. You can't do that. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> right, <laughs> it just right. doesn't work. So fortunately, he, you know, he was in the right path. I was in the right path. And, you know, I had to force him to marry me, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> and they have five beautiful boys. And they live, in, they live in Boston, Massachusetts. And how did you... Get into this cooking thing now. Now let's so swing it around. Was, okay, that's, I really, I remained close to his family even when he left. His family is a wonderful, they're really wonderful people. And his mom especially is a sweet lady. And I was, you know, really enamored of Persian food and culture. The whole shebang. I loved it. And I loved the food so desperately. I wanted to learn how to make Persian food. And it was so hard because they have no measurements. They have no way of oh, really... Oh, it's, it's not only um, Safari Persians that are like that. My grandmother doesn't have any measurements either from exactly. Poland. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. In we Yiddish, it's called Shitsarain. I'm sorry? In Yiddish, they say Shitsarain this and Shitsarain that and, oh you know, you gosh. have it. So it's I, exactly the same. I mean, they don't use, in Farsi, they just throw stuff in there, and you just yeah. need, you know how it's supposed to taste. I mean, but for the half of these things I never tasted before, it was really difficult. So I spent a week. So when she realized that I was going to move to New York, my mother-in-law realized that I was going to move to New York, she decided that she was going to teach me really seriously how to make food because she figured that way she has to, because by the way, there is a secret underground like, the world needs to know. There's a secret underground, um, like, like what can I say? I don't know what to say. Like, it's like a black market of Persian food made by mothers and sent to sons <laughs> in New York through Federal Express. I'm not even joking. <laughs> they freeze the food, they pack it in a Federal Express packages, and they ship it to New York. Or wherever hilarious. the kids are. It's sick. <laughs> it's sick. These kids have no clue how to cook. And most of the cookbooks that I have actually sold, go to Persian girls and boys that they're away from their parents and they have no clue how to make the food because the parents never let them. In the kitchen, yeah. yeah. Never let them in the kitchen. You know, <laughs> they came to this country looking for the kids for a, for a second chance for their children, for, for a good life. They were like, get out of the kitchen, go to college, which makes sense. You know what I mean? But then, like, but the then girls are like, well, you know, eventually I'm going to get married and have to learn to cook. I have countless of emails I can show you of the girls. Thank you so much. My husband can finally eat something decent. I feel so embarrassed every time my mother-in-law comes and I have nothing cooked because da-da-da-da. Like, we have kids. Let's to get real. Eventually, a person needs to learn how to fry an egg. That's just life, you know? Right. Your kid needs to have something to eat. <laughs> so even if you're looking for your husband, like, somebody's got to eat something. So, so... Anyway, so my, my mother-in-law saw this huge opportunity of, like, using me as, a, you know, the source of the food conduit. instead of having you to ship You were the conduit. Yeah, because it was expensive. Federal Express is expensive. So <laughs> I, I learned everything, and I really wrote it down very neatly. And I started these little files on my computer. Did not, all my friends were like, oh, can you share recipes? Can you share recipes? Everyone all the time. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write a personal cookbook. I'm going to give it to my future daughters-in-law. Mind you, I didn't even have children yet. I'll give it to my future daughters-in-law. <laughs> she you know, has five ultimate, I've always been this non-Persian bride because it's very difficult to go into the Persian culture, you uh-huh. should know. Okay. So I always felt like an outsider, like the non-Persian bride. So I, so I always wanted that name for my little – it was supposed to be like a small pamphlet, a few recipes that people were favorite. Let me tell you how many pages this gorgeous book is. I'm just trying to find a page number. I'm in, I'm in the index. It's over – 350 pages. Yeah. Gorgeous, glossy <laughs> pictures because you have to have a cookbook now with pictures. Oh, yeah. Every page. I mean, for me, I cannot have a single – I just cannot – I will not even open it if he doesn't have a picture. Right. I know. It's it's the – you know, like I had Shifra um, Klein here from Joy yeah, of Kosher. sure. Tons and tons of pictures in the magazines. I mean, you oh, know. yeah. You, you have, have to. You've got glossy, gorgeous pictures. They have, I, for me, it was extremely important for the pictures to be – Incredibly accurate. I didn't want any fake, um, you know, right? Cause then, like any right. nothing fake. Everything because has to be. If they, you know. if they, if a person makes one thing from a cookbook that doesn't look like the picture, you get really disappointed. Then you don't end up using the book. So you've exactly. got to be very, very accurate. Fortunately, Persian food is really pretty. 
Yeah, yeah. Because some foods are not. But fortunately, Persian <laughs> food actually tends to be beautiful. For yeah. me, it was also very important that because it was supposed to be a personal project, this was not supposed to be published at all. Wow. It was supposed to be personal. There is tons of really personal stories in the book. And I thought yes. it was going to be very uncomfortable. And I said to myself, like, I don't know if I can share these things. It's like, this is like tons of, like, you know, gossipy stories about my in-laws and about my <laughs> life around around Persians and my experiences and stuff. And I'm like... I don't know if I can even print this. I, like, this is, like, very, very personal. And then I understood that people actually want personal things. They want to, like, share your life. They don't want to just cook from the cookbook. They want to read it. They go in the night, at night, at nighttime before bedtime, and they put it on their lap, and they read it on their, on their you know. I read this. This was by my bed the whole summer, and I read a little bit every night. It's so, so cute. Thank you. you know, for <laughs> it's, me, it's, it's the it same. I do the same thing I read cookbooks as a novel. You know, I, do the I started same thing. off with Susie Fishbines. When yeah. I could, you know, and now, you know, yours and, and Jamie Geller's, all the yeah. cookbooks. I read them like novels, especially ones with stories. Yeah, I like the one. I like cookbooks that have, have soul to them. And, this and is really, right. it's like really giving birth to a child. And if the child doesn't have a soul, what's the point, right? Right, exactly. I, I would say that about your book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's so really, it's really my life. This book is really, really everything that I have lived through with Persian Jews and uh, with Persian culture in general. And it, I really also wanted to be for my children, like know how to do Sephardic, her- you know, Sephardic heritage for me is extremely important. Right. And I want the kids to be very, very proud, just like, you, you know, you would be proud of like the beautiful Ashkenazi heritage and Yiddish. I wanted the kids to be proud of like having the Persian cult- you know, culture and customs. Is there a big Persian community in Boston? No. No, and I think honestly, that's the reason why I wrote this cookbook because right, we have no, per- we have few, a few families. But had I been in Los Angeles, I would have never had the need to like learn how to make kebab from scratch. You go to What's the that? store, you What's buy that? kebab meat. Oh, till already out, marinated. It? It's crazy. Right, right. It's yeah. like you don't, yeah, you don't need to do it much. I mean, unless obviously, like you're not gonna buy stuff from the store all the time. You want it healthy. You know, you have to cook at home eventually. Otherwise, you know, people are gonna roll down the street. But the truth is that this, you know. For a person that really wants to have, this is very traditional, you know, specific traditional Persian food that people would love. And also there is also Middle Eastern food, other Middle Eastern uh, recipes right. in the book too, not just Persian. A lot of the, a lot of the ingredients hard to find, like, you know, especially for you. So I live in New York, be, I, you know. They used to be hard to find. Now the world is very small thanks to the Internet. So you right. go on Amazon and you just type anything you want from the cookbook and it's really by there in your fingertips. Uh, two days. Uh, with, with the free shipping thing, you get in two days in your house. So if you say you're doing something for, for Rosh Hashanah next week and you, you want to get pomegranate paste, go on the Internet today. Order it. I tell you in the cookbook which one you know, has a hexer, which one not. I, give you, I put, have links on my website, two different websites that have these ingredients a lot. I mean, I would say every single city in the United States Almost every single city in the United States has a Middle Eastern market. I encourage right. people to go visit. I have a video of me, of me on my YouTube channel visiting Middle Eastern markets. I'll tell you how to go about it. It's a cultural experience. It's actually really, really cool. Um, and um, it's really fun to go and see new products, and you would never believe how many things have hexarim in, this, in these places. It's unbelievable. You have um, amazing brands like Sadaf and stuff like that, that, that right, they, Sadaf, yeah. Sadaf, they have old kosher products and they are. They do a lot of the pomegranate paste. Exactly. And, and a lot of the things that are really hard to find. And in New York, if you live in New York, you have an amazing Syrian community in Brooklyn. You can right. go, things called the corner market or something like that. There is a supermarket there that has everything. You can even make your own cheese from scratch. That place is like, <laughs> every time I go to Brooklyn, I like, I'm like in paradise. Like I'd rather go there than Disneyland, you know? Oh, it's so place. cute. You have pomegranate paste, you have tamarind paste. Yeah, what is tamarind? I see that in a lot of your recipes and a lot of Sephardic recipes. What, so tamarind is like a gift from God. I'm telling you, it's one of those things like, they take God. the tamarind, they take the tamarind and they, they put it in water and they take the pulp of the tamarind out. What and is depending a on whether, what hmm? is it? Is it a, a citrus fruit? It's a citrus fruit. Depends on the tree. Um, we had a tree in our beach house in Venezuela in our backyard that was actually sweet. Cool. Most of the time, you know, like pomegranate is actually sweet. Persians like it very sour, so they make um, you know like fruit roll up with pomegranate, and oh. they're really sour. And they use it for a specific chorosh, which is a stew, it's a fish stew called chorosh de galia mahi, and this particular stew is oh. 
is unreal. So that's made with tamarind. It's a tamarind fish stew that oh, was on top I, of rice. It's I love insane. fish stew. I love fish stew. It's insane. So salmon, is I, the, the recipe from the cookbook is insane. Okay, great. I'm going to totally do that. Yeah, one. most most of the time, most of the time, tamarind is used by Syrians and pomegranate is used by Persians because pomegranates are, you know, indigenous. Native of Persia, basically. Uh huh. I know. I know. When you go to Israel, there are pomegranate trees everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, I also had a pomegranate tree in Venezuela. Don't get me wrong, but it originates <laughs> in Persia. Like we, pomegranates are unbelievable. Wow. Okay. They're superfood. And right, they are a superfood. They what do they call antioxidants? Yeah, they have antioxidants that protect against like cellular damage. It's amazing. Yeah, my, my They're family. Packed with nutritional value. My <laughs> kids fight over pomegranates. I have to buy so many this time of the year. Yeah, fortunately, too bad they're so expensive. And, you know, you can buy them in Costco. Costco actually sells little cases of, you know, six or eight pomegranates. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And sometimes you can even get them without the seeds. There are tricks on getting the seeds out of the pomegranate. It yeah. can be a little of a pain. Yeah. We did that. Like, we, we did a bit of that on the show last week, how to just seed a pomegranate. Yeah. And, and you can uh, enjoy of kosher. I think they also talk about it as well. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit now about Rosh Hashanah and the traditions um, that you guys have as well. We did a lot of Ashkenazi traditions last week. Yeah. So we've sure. got we got only a couple of minutes left. How can we do this in a nutshell? So basically Persians do a Rosh Hashanah Seder. And it's interesting because they have, just like the symbolic foods that Ashkenazi people have, they also have symbolic foods, the same idea. They have apple and honey first and leeks. But this this time, I don't know if Ashkenazi have leeks. Yeah, we do. We do have yeah, leeks. Yeah, they, they don't really eat them. They usually, sometimes they do, but they tear that piece apart and then they throw it towards their back. Okay, like they physically cut, right? Isn't it cut off cut your it. enemies? Yeah, so you cut you the leek in half. cut off your enemies and you throw it. Oh, I like that. And you throw it. And then they also have Passion. zucchini. Zucchini. And they have black-eyed peas. Okay, yeah. For, you know, the Ainhara. And they have lamb's head or the tongue of a cow. We don't have a fish head. So in my okay. Rosh Hashanah table, you always see a lamb head with, like, the eyes staring at you. It's disgusting. Oh. <laughs> gross. Yeah, okay, last week they I told everyone, we don't do these. fish. We don't even do a fish head. I cut the, you know, the that jujus, gross. the candy jujus, which is fish. It's candy fish. Oh, that's I, cute. I cut the heads off that, and I have a bowl of, of fish, candy fish heads because we don't do animals. <laughs> <laughs> that's adorable. I like that idea. Very cute. We have beets. And um, they also, also they have dates, and also we have lung from a cow. Lung. Why lung? lung. I'd seen everything else but not lung. Well, instead of lungs, I have to tell you because it's very hard to find this, you know, particular Never you know, seen things, it ever of animals in America. We actually do popcorn because it's supposed to be airy. Like you seen should be fluffy and light like the air. So you do popcorn. So I do popcorn. Isn't that better? That's it looks a little so bit like a long, right? And it's nothing is real in the halacha about this. This no, is just things that we've taken on. Some people do popcorn. I mean, it's changing a lot to popcorn. Nobody can find longs in, in America. And nobody's going to eat a piece of long. Like, give me a break. No matter right, how much you fry it, nobody's going to eat it. We've had intestines. We've had brains. But <laughs> the lung thing is like, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's what we have. And then, you know, it's just, it's, in terms of food, there's usually this very, very particular um, soup. It's called abgusht. Okay. Everything has to be sweet on the Seder. See, this soup is sweet. Okay. I don't know, it, I don't know exactly like what they mean sweet. I'm, lo- I'm looking not... for it. I, I don't know if you know what page number it will be the last thing that we, uh. The abgusht is page Abg- 97. Yeah, got it. Uh, it looks great. Oh, wow. It's got peas yeah. and, spl- uh, Split peas, potatoes, yeah. Persian limes, and or you also can use cumin, lime juice like little it. pieces of cumin. I it's really cumin. pretty soup. Okay, great. <laughs> We've got an amazing menu. Um, uh, you've got a couple of days till Rosh Hashanah. You haven't started cooking yet. I have because I'm. That's my. That's what I'm I do. I'm going shopping today. I'm going shopping okay. today. <laughs> right. So uh, I like fresh. I really like it fresh. So I try to. I try to cook a lot uh, closer to the day. Closer to Yontif. Um, but you know, when you're out today, going to the supermarket, you got to, you know, uh. On your way, stop by your local uh, Judaica store. I think that's where they probably sell it, right? All the, all the local Judaica stores. Or you can get Actually, on Amazon. Actually, my website. My website, kosherpersianfood.com. Kosherpersianfood.com. Or Amazon.com. Or Amazon. Yeah. And yeah. just get it shipped out to you because this is a gorgeous, gorgeous story, passionate cookbook. And I just, <laughs> there are no words to describe. I'm having trouble describing it. So, Raina, Thanks. thank you. You must come in in person. I have to. I have to give you a hug. I'm okay, so excited I know, to I know. met you over the phone. This is great. Absolutely. Have a great Shabbos. Thank you. Good Shabbos. And, and we'll be in touch. And, and also Shana Tova. to you and your family. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye, Raina. Take care. Bye.
thank you everyone for listening. This has been such an intense and exciting show. I woke up very excited this morning already, uh, knowing of uh, having Shifra and uh, Raina on the show. Um, a food challenge once again. More simanim, more ideas for Rosh Hashanah. Please send them in to me because I'd love to uh, hear more. Um, some of the Yapsik website, uh, my Yapsik recipe is on my website. Uh, we t- spoke about earlier on the on the um, on the show. So if you want to catch up on that or hear any of our shows on podcasts uh, on the internet, nakamsegal.com or on our app. Uh, thank you for listening. Executive Assistant Avrani will be presenting a special priestly hot edition on Saturday Night Seagull. Uh, he'll be on from 10 till midnight on the stream this Matzei Shabbos. So make sure to tune in and, and stay tuned in right now. We've got Lich bench, uh, music right up to Lich Benching. So uh, cook and dance away in your kitchen. Have a great Shana Tovah. And I'm going to take this opportunity um, to say good Shabbos and Shana Tovah from everybody at my table and at the Nachum Siegel table to your table. And uh, we'll be in touch soon. Keep Keep listening and happy cooking.